Why do you linger here when there is no hope? There is still hope. Tempted to think there's no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf. Or a hobbit. Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomesdown at your service and... Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. For What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine, 88.9 FM and streaming live on KUCI.org. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. You are listening to KUCI in Irvine, Orange County's alternative radio station and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? Broadcasting from UCI, Tuesdays 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. Welcome and my govanin to everyone listening, whether you're joining us live or online, and to my enduring and charming Hobbit co-host, Milo Lomsdown. Milo Lomsdown at your service, dear Elf Princess. <laughs> it's lovely to see you. It's lovely to be in the studio once again after an adventure last week. <laughs> and everyone that is listening to us now is listening to What Would Arwen Do here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming live, as we always do, at KUCI.org, 24 by 7. You can feel free to contact us with comments or questions or suggestions at askanelf at yahoo.com. That's A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you. And you can find podcasts and information about this program and all the public affairs programs of KUCI at www.KUCITalk.org. You can also find podcasts of What Would Arwen Do on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store and search for the keyword Arwen, A-R-W-E-N. And What Would Arwen Do will be one of the podcasts you find, Elf Princess. Wonderful. And if people wanted to contact us, I'm sorry, I was... Did you get I will mention the email address once more. Askanelf at yahoo.com. That's A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F at yahoo.com. We'd really enjoy hearing comments, questions, suggestions for improvement, 
or suggestions <laughs> on things not to change. Or things about uh, the movies or something that we might not know about or, or events. Or the books or, or the local, art. local events going on. Yes, absolutely. So in case you are tuning in for the very first time, you may be wondering what this show is all about. Well, if a Middle-earth elf lived today in Southern California, in Irvine to be more precise, what might her life look like? How would she, as a modern elf, celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures, things the elves care deeply about? Some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this program, when challenges in life arise, or as the wizard Gandalf said to Frodo, questions, questions that need answering, we like to ask, well, what would Arwen do? Who was Arwen, you may be wondering? In J.R.R. Tolkien's Mythology of Middle-Earth, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and the lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing lore and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light, a beloved daughter of the universe like all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or an elvish Arda. We believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. In her we see courage, wisdom, beauty, a sense of humor and gaiety, and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durius wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So... We hope and believe this elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service to others. And with that, we often have guests on our program that we like to share with you who are listening, whether it's um, live or on podcast, about people who are making a difference in the world. And today, a little bit later in the show, we will be interviewing Eugene Cook, who is an urban gardener and is making a difference Ooh, gardening. in people's... Yes. I like gardening. Yes, we I love I like the gardening. feel of dirt in my toes and my fingers. And not to mention the yummy things that we often get to eat and enjoy, both flowers that bloom and make beautiful scents and lovely Taters, things to eat. Taters, carrots, <laughs> green beans, <clears throat> peas, peas, squash, oh, and pumpkins. Yeah. <laughs> may Apples? I go on? Yes, you may. But perhaps not too much because uh, we do only have an hour. <laughs> And I'm sure that the list of hobbits' things to eat and enjoy would could go on quite quite, quite long. For hours. <laughs> and uh, just to mention also, we do have a special in-guest, uh, in-guest, in-studio guest today, the lovely shield maiden and archeress from Escondido, Ro. We say hello. Hello. Oh, oh, uh, one more time. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. She's off on a little adventure um, 
and but has stopped over to spend a night in the phallus with me. So I'm very blessed to have the company of the Shield Maiden for the night. So she's going to be hanging out with us here for an hour. But we, Dear Hobbit, have so many things to talk about. And for those of you who um, are just tuning in perhaps for the first time, for one thing, we should say hello to our friends. But also I'd like to send a special hello and welcome to all the new students and returning students here at UC Irvine because this is the first week of the winter quarter. And so we have lots of students returning. It's been kind of quiet around here for the last month. But it's not quiet anymore. The the campus is a bustle. There are people coming and going in droves and hordes, and there's parking challenges and traffic challenges. Yes, the buses are running the Anteater Express. Those little blue buses are just bouncing about all over the place. And uh, But I love it. I love the energy of when the students are here, and especially kind of at the beginning of a new quarter. And the, the little shopping center across the street, University Center, is a buzz with uh, students, and it's just delightful. And the faculty scurrying to their next class to try to teach. <laughs> now, all the staff that are trying to keep all of these people supported in their intellectual journeys and adventures. And we here at KUCI, uh, this is the radio station that broadcasts from UC Irvine. And um, we were going to mention this later, but I think I will mention now as well that in case someone is a new student or perhaps a returning student and wasn't aware that we have a training for disc jockeys and uh, talk show hosts. And that training will be starting a week from this Wednesday here uh, on the campus. It's uh, usually about an hour or two a night for about eight weeks, and you learn all about what it takes to host a show and what the FCC requires and intern and all of that. And if you'd like more information, you can visit our website at... KUCI.org, and in the upper right-hand corner, you'll mm-hmm. see news items, and one of them will be about the disc jockey training. Yes, and uh, so we would welcome you to come and have an adventure like we're having. <laughs> it's been a tremendous adventure now, more than two years, almost two and a half years, Elf Princess. Yes, well, six years for me, so... And Lots longer for yeah, you. so uh, it, it will change your life, we promise. As, Absolutely. As, uh, and out. in a positive way. <laughs> not only not only the reward you have from contacting people and sharing your knowledge and talents, but also the fabulous staff you'll meet here at KUCI. Yes. We're over 100 people, all volunteers. So everybody here is a volunteer. Nobody gets paid. Uh, we get paid in... Um, virtue is its own reward. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but we have uh, our guest coming on in about uh, about ten minutes, and in the meantime, though, we must get ready because I'm sure we have Hobbit movie news. And of course, well, the last time that Roe was here, which was just was that just two weeks ago? Two or three? Was it? Uh, you, I think your your is your mic not working? I think I have it turned on. I wasn't talking. Oh, it's actually it's, it's not. not. It was. Yeah. It was dead the last time I was okay. here too. So I, I thought it was three, but Milo's oh, showing me four. But four? Okay. It was right before Christmas. Oh, okay. Well, I guess it has been four. Um, but that the the last time you were here though was the night that the trailer came out. Has it been that long? December twentieth. Yes. Yeah, December twentieth. Oh my gosh! How time, time flies was. when you're having fun. <laughs> But let's get to movie news before we forget, because we also have readings and a guest. We do. And so let's play a little a little bit of uh, Hobbit music to just get us here um, as we get, of course, and this is movie news regarding what, Dear Hobbit? The Hobbit. <laughs> Which is? The Hobbit is a pair of films produced and directed by Peter Jackson, 
which premieres December 14th, less than 12 months, just oh 11 months gosh. from now, December 14th this year. And so here is the Tuesday, January 10th Hobbit movie news. I can hardly wait. I'm so excited. There's so much stuff. I I'm just going to... I never look at I'm anything just gonna before the show. go so at the be... very slightest little interesting tidbits, and okay. maybe next week we can catch up with some more in-depth stuff. Okay. First of all, if you're interested in the Hobbit movie as I am, you can vote for it in the MTV Movie Brawl. Oh. You can simply go to MTV.com. And you'll find out that, again, MTV is on this year with their annual movie brawl. By pitting certain new movies against others, the brawl eventually narrows a field of 16 movies down to the most anticipated movie of 2012. And I can tell you right now, it is The Hobbit Part (laughs) 1. So if you want to vote, you may go to mtv.com and vote for it. For more information, go to my favorite news source, which is theonering.net. Now, getting back to the movie and little hints, all we're getting are little hints, Elf Princess, little nuggins of little shadowy information. Michael Persbrandt, the great Swedish actor who is going to be playing Bjorn, was interviewed by MovieZine. And MovieZine asks, are you finished filming The Hobbit? And he says, no, absolutely not. I'm going back there in February. MovieZine asks, do you have a part in both films? And Michael says, yes, I have. The role is more or less what it is in the book. I'm not going to talk much more about it because they'll get angry at me. (laughs) But read the book and you see. And then maybe there is a little more. (gasps) Oh, Oh my gosh. But wait, there's more. You thought there was more there, but another thing. Now, Benedict Cumberbatch, as we know, is a brilliant actor. Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, the Sherlock films from BBC, which are so excellent, made for TV movies, but they're quite good. And Martin Freeman is his co-host, is Dr. Watson. It's just an amazing thing. Well, guess what? For those of you who are Star Trek fans, as the Hobbit Wife is, and hello, Hobbit Wife, if you're listening, uh, and I didn't share this with you at home today for a reason. I wanted to surprise you on the show. Benedict Cumberbatch has been enrolled in the new Star Trek movie. Oh. So he will be in the next, the sequel that J.J. Abrams is doing. Oh, my goodness. But speaking of Benedict Cumberbatch, because, of course, we really don't care that much about Star Trek. We're more interested in the Hobbit movie. Oh, and he's yeah. going to be playing Smaug, right? Mm-hmm. So here is something that came This is a little article from Empire Online, and I'm going to conclude with this, but it's so juicy, I I just have to to mention. There's other stuff we'll talk about next week, but this is uh, conjecture from Empire Online, which is brilliant and leads into our readings from the Silmarillion. The following is both complete conjecture and possible spoiler for The Hobbit, so please think carefully before continuing. Well, it's just conjecture, so I don't have any problem. There was an interview with Benedict Cumberbatch on the set of Sherlock Holmes about his role. Mm-hmm. And Cumberbatch said, quote, I'm playing Smaug through motion capture and voicing the Necromancer, which is a character in the Five Legions War, or something which I'm meant to understand. He's not actually in the original Hobbit. It's something Peter Jackson's taken from the Lord of the Rings that he wants to put in there. End of quote. So this is the conjecture from Empire Online, the British magazine mm-hmm. uh, Empire Online, says, now those familiar with the book will notice immediately the big new piece of information here. Assuming that Cumberbatch does not mean the Battle of Five Armies, which seems safe, then this points to one way that Peter Jackson and company have expanded the Hobbit story to fill two films and provide a more seamless link 
to the Lord of the Rings films. Mm. Readers will know that the necromancer really is Sauron, and that Gandalf disappears halfway through the Hobbit book to lead a coalition force and drive the necromancer out of his Mirkwood stronghold. But in the book, they dispatch the necromancer back to, as it turns out, Mordor, well before the Battle of Five Armies. Here, however, it looks like he's going to turn up in the finale in person, presumably at the head of the Goblin and Warg army, and face Gandalf's team there. Mm. If that's the case, it's a narratively neat way to combine the two story threads, that of Bilbo and the dwarves and the other following Gandalf and his team. It also gives the Goblins a stronger motivation to suddenly turn up. In the book, they're avenging the earlier death of one of their leaders, and like all the other armies present at the battle, hoping to get their grubby hands on the dragon's horde. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, there, there's more. Again, I will point yeah. you to uh, the summary at theonering.net. It's a wonderful place, but we've got things to do and places to go today. Well, and because, you know, I love all I love backstory. I'm, I'm crazy about backstory. Of course, I've read, you know, most of the Silmarillion and the history of Middle Earth and unfinished tales and the lost tales. And so I love, like, you know, piecing these things together. And I love that Peter Jackson also likes to do these some of these things because, you know, when we see in The Lord of the Rings, that whole prelude, the, the Last Alliance of Elves and Men, all of that is pulled from, from the backstory. Which is uh, in? Which is in the Silmarillion. Yes. And there's a little thing in the end of the Silmarillion because a lot of people read the Silmarillion, all these name changes and these elves and these people. It's too much to keep track of. But there's a wonderful thing at the very end of the book called Of the Rings of Power and the Third Age. Oh, really? Yes. And it's just about, you know, maybe six, I don't know, six or eight or ten pages long. But it gives really the super backstory to all of these things. And it's funny because I've talked, you know, to a couple of people. Oh, you know, did you see the trailer? Isn't this, you know, it, what it, you know we talk about how wonderful it is and we were all so ex- um Everyone I've talked to so far has been so impressed with Thor and Oakenshield and singing and the dwarf singing. The music is out of this world. It's just heaven. But um, I found a couple of little passages of the Rings of Power to kind of relate to a couple of things that people had questions about. So I'm going to have you read one. Okay. And one of them has to do with uh, seeing Gandalf um, in a um, – seeing Gandalf – so there where the yellow markings are is what uh-huh. I'm going to read. Because they're wondering, well, who is Gandalf fighting with? And some people are saying, well, it is the necromancer. Um, but, you know, that would be like a, uh, that would be like, I mean, he created Belrog. So he's not going to be like just a person. And it seems like Gandalf is in a tussle with some kind of a personage about his same size. In the Hobbit trailer in that we Hobbit saw trailer, last month. In the Hobbit trailer, just, you yes. know, that little one or two seconds. One but, second. Yeah, one second. So... Um, I wanted you to read a little okay. bit about this uh, concept of, you know, Gandalf having interactions with the necromancer. This is from Of the Rings of Power. Right. Of the Rings of Power, a chapter of the Silmarillion. Let's begin. Now, of the old, the name of that forest was Greenwood the Great, and its wide halls and isles were the haunt of many beasts and of birds of bright song. And there was the realm of King Thranduil, under the oak and the beech. But after many years... When well nigh a third of that age of the world had passed, a darkness crept slowly through the wood from the southward, and fear walked there in shadowy glades. Fell beasts came hunting, and cruel and evil creatures laid there their snares. 
Then the name of the forest was changed, and Mirkwood it was called, for the nightshade lay deep there, and few dared to pass through, save only in the north, where Thranduil's people still held the, ex- the evil at bay. Whence it came few could tell, and it was long ere even the wise could discover it. It was the shadow of Sauron, and the sign of his return. For coming out of the wastes of the east, he took up his abode in the south of the forest, and slowly he grew and took shape there again. In a dark hill he made his dwelling, and wrought there his sorcery, and all folk feared the sorcerer of Dal Guldur, and yet they knew not at first how great was their peril. Oh, my gosh. So we see the shadow growing and Sauron, you know, making his re-entrance and why we also see Mirkwood, you know, because well, this is of just course, perfect. is in the, in the film, and he's coming from Mirkwood, which wasn't always called Mirkwood. It was once called Greenwood you know, the Great. Greenwood the Great. And then the other thing that a lot of, that a number of people that I talked to raised was, you know, well, Galadriel. What's Galadriel doing in the movie, and what's she doing? Well, there? Galadriel's because, there because I like Galadriel. <laughs> well. You know, the, again, if people want to read a little bit in the Rings of Power, there was the White Council where people were wondering, you know, when um, uh, Isildur cut the ring from Sauron's hand, right. and then he go, you know, gets killed in the river, and it, it suggested that the, the ring, ring goes falls into the into river. The river. Right. And everybody's wondering, but is that really where it is? Or, you know, is Sauron looking for it? Everybody's wondering where the ring is. Right. And But they notice that, you know, the shadow seems to be growing. So it says here um, about... Um, it says, ever most vigilant was was Mithrandir, which is another name for Gandalf. Right. And he it was that most doubted the darkness in Mirkwood. For though many deemed that it was wrought by the ring wraiths, he feared that it was indeed the first shadow of Sauron returning. And he went to Dulgodur, and the sorcerer fled from him. And there was a watchful peace for a long while. But at length the shadow returned, and its power increased. And in that time was first made the Council of the Wise, that is called the White Council. And therein were Elrond and Galadriel and Círdan and other lords of the Eldar, and with them were Mithrandir and Curanir, which we know is Saruman. And that was and Kuanir, that was Saruman the White, was chosen to be their chief, for he had most studied the devices of... For he had most... Of Sauron of old. Galadriel indeed had wished that Mithrandir should be head of the council. And Sauron begrudged them that, for his pride and desire of mastery was grown date, was grown great. But Mithrandir refused the office, since he would have no ties and no allegiance save to those who sent him, and he would abide in no place nor be subject to any summons. But Sauron now began to study the lore of the rings of power, making their making and their history. Now the shadow grew ever greater, and the hearts of Elrond and Mithrandir darkened. Therefore, on a time, Mithrandir, at great peril, went again to Dol Gudur and the pits of the sorcerer, and he discovered the truth of his fears and escaped. Ah. Escaped. So yes. it wasn't like he just walked out. So The word escape means there must have been some tension, yes, some challenge, even, some fight. Yes, yes. some fight. So I'm going to play... Um, I think our guest may I be calling. I think our guest may be calling. We will be right back. In the meantime, we're going to hear the song from the, Over the Misty Mountains Cold, uh, courtesy of, of course, YouTube and Howard Shore and Peter Jackson. This is KUCI in Irvine. Are over the misty mountains cold Like torches blaze. 
Oh my gosh, I can I cannot wait for the movie. <laughs> I know. I I have to say that that was one of the things, and Ro and I were together that night, and um, I was a little nervous because I didn't know if I wanted any spoilers from the show. But Ro, come over by the the um, thing there. But um, we were not disappointed, were we? No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, we replayed it. Oh, I don't know, ten, eleven times, <laughs> twelve. Yes, and I think for me, I was just so thrilled because I was wondering how Howard Shore was going to pull off music for dwarves, and it's just magical and enchanting. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So that is uh, up on YouTube. That's actually, um, uh, there's a group, or, well, it's, it's Resurrected 2011, and they've, they've pulled that from the trailer in case anybody wants to go up there and listen to that. That has uh, 225,000 views so far, <laughs> although the Hobbit movie trailer, apart from the one that's on Apple, just the one that's up on YouTube, has had over 4 million viewing so far. So that's, that's wow. the interest in that. So, it is time for us to do a little transition, though, my dear Hobbit. I'm getting hungry. You get <laughs> I'm hungry just thinking about our guest. Just thinking about ga- uh, gardening. Well, our guest today is uh, Eugene Cook, who is an urban gardener. He has assisted in developing gardener gardens and mini farms in the U.S., Kenya, and Jamaica. He has been teaching visual art, environmental, and agricultural science to children and adults for over 10 years. Eugene's talks are brimming with helpful information about how to garden, but more importantly, he he reminds us why we tend the garden, to be grounded, to have a sense of wonder about the world around us, to build community. Planting as a service. So I'm very excited. And uh, just for you, those of you who are listening, this is What Would Arwen Do? We are at KUCI 88.9 FM. And if you'd like more information about uh, Eugene, there are a couple of websites. Uh, in fact, you might even go- want to go on there now as you're listening to the show. One is formamaearth.org. Formamaearth.org. You can get information about the upcoming uh, workshop that he's and going to be doing. That is the numeral four. So numeral it's the numeral four, M-A-M-A-E-A-R-T-H dot O-R-G. Yes. And the workshop is going to be right here across the street from the campus of UC Irvine at the delightful Center for Living Peace, 4139 Campus Drive in Irvine. And their website is www.goodhappens.org. And again, you can get information about the event uh, that's going to be this Sunday, January 15th, 2012, from 12 noon to 1.15 p.m. And um, Milo, my dear Hobbit, you have a little more information yes, that's uh, fascinating. Eugene, about Eugene is a tremendously interesting guy. He believes that artistic expression and sustainable living are the keys to vibrant social systems. Eugene engages both the youth and adults with hands-on learning experiences and lectures to help cultivate the nurturing sensibility that is crucial to our human evolution. Working as an employee with national nonprofits and schools has inspired Eugene to create gebsite.com, gebsite.com, which is helping people grow their own food at homes, schools, churches, community centers, and parks. Gebsite allows Eugene to continue to partner with companies and organizations worldwide to awaken creativity through art and channel this creativity into practices for living abundant, holistic lives. Eugene has assisted in developing gardens all over, mini farms in California, Georgia, Washington, D.C., Oregon, Florida, even Kenya in faraway Africa. 
He has been teaching visual art, environmental, and agricultural science to children and adults for more than a decade. His artwork has been collected by Cal State University Fullerton, the University of Colorado, and many private collections. Mm. And what he spends his time doing these days, apparently, is planting, painting, and partnering with amazing people to encourage the next wave of our collective rise. And I was able to meet... um uh, connect with Eugene. I don't think we've actually met in person, but I'm very excited because this coming Sunday I will be going to the workshop over at the Center for Living Peace. So next week when we have our show, I'll have an adventure report Great. Uh, to share with our listeners. And um, we have a friend in common, Andrea, Andrea Miller, who is amazing. She's just an um, amazing, phenomenal woman and uh, one of my fellow yoga teachers. And she is uh, one of the founder or co-founders of for Mama Earth, which is Mothers About Making Amends, uh, which is what the MAMA, M-A-M-A, stands for. And uh, she has agreed to come on the show in a not-too-distant f- future because I'm fascinated to find out about what she's up to with uh, For um, for Mama Earth. Wow, so, that would yeah, be so exciting. Have, but right now I'm hungry. Right now, Can we talk to Eugene to, about food? And you want to talk about gardening and food. So I believe that Eugene is with us on the line. Are you there? I am. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, Eugene, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with us and for being who you are and doing what you're doing in the world, sharing with people. Uh, because I know in a lot of places, especially here in Southern California, and for many of us who live in like little condominiums or you know smaller houses, we wonder, well, you know, we think, well, I can't make a garden. How am I going to have a garden or grow things that I can eat or enjoy? And yet, I think that you might have some keys for us to be able to do that. Is that mm, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, and I, and I think that the audience that we are speaking to is an audience that is not going to settle for any kind of limitations. We are looking and uh, knowing that we are the answer to all, and we are here because we are connected to all. So the most important thing is to remember we can grow where we are. Ah. And we can start something small as an herb garden or something as large as a food forest. It really depends on our intention and our access to resources. Food forest. Yes, that sir. sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Eugene, uh, we have many questions for you. Before we jump in, I would just like to let our ris- listeners know that we you do have a book that has just come out. Is that right? Yes, it is called Grow Where You Are. And it's, um, it's a primer. It's, it's really just about getting people to understand all the reasons why people have grown food close to where they live throughout history and moving back into that Mm. modality in this present time. Wonderful. That, by the way, is available at lulu.com. Just go to lulu.com for more information. Search on Eugene Cook, and his last name is spelled C-O-O-K-E. So uh, this coming, this... um uh, workshop that you're doing this coming Sunday, January uh, 15th, over at the Center for Living Peace, right across the street here in University Center, right across the street from UC Irvine. Um, y- will there be copies of your book available there? Um, this time around, I believe I will have at least one to show, but I think we sold all of them out last time I was here in California, oh. <laughs> and I've been doing workshops here in Georgia. One of the easiest and best ways is to, to do just as... Um, uh, they were instructed to do to go to Lulu because that way you can actually get an e-version and you don't have to ah. use up all this paper and oh, we can have great. it on our computer and look at it that way or you can order one and have it mailed to you as a as a, a paper copy also. We're focusing, it's the fourth in um, a series of workshops and this one is around 
the meditation and how gardening can assist us in our spiritual practice or in our meditative practice daily. So could you just maybe explain to our, because our, our listeners, and I'm not exactly sure, what, what actually is this concept of urban gardening? I mean... Well, bro- the broadest aspect of it is urban agriculture, meaning how do we grow food in urban cities? Right now, 80% of people in the United States and actually worldwide live in cities, right? So when we're thinking of how all of us have come from suburban or, or I mean, rural areas and come into cities, now we've changed the way that we live, but we all still eat. Most of us eat at least three times a day. <laughs> You're right. So how do we deal with that? How can we adjust our agricultural system so that it is not one concept of a monocrop of 5,000 acres of corn, for example? Right. One of the ways we do that is we look at the available space and resources that we have, and we start to use our creativity use our imagination and envision a completely different reality for ourselves. So we look at a public school that has a field and that is being irrigated where the grass is growing and being mowed and growing and being mowed, and we see how the resources are there, but they're not being used to generate food for the community. Mm. So what if we took that field or part of that field at our local elementary school, junior high school, high school, and dedicated it as a a fruit orchard, and we planted 50 trees, 10 different varieties of fruit trees. We're in Southern California where we have all the beautiful weather we need. The irrigation system is already there. And now we start to use land in a new way and in a way to cultivate food that is for us and for the birds, the insects, every other life form that is surrounding us. Amazing. Yes. Well, I mean, and I think it reminds me, a couple of things. One, as a child growing up, we you know we had a we lived in uh, Long Beach and we had a bigger land plot. We but we had three trees on our on our land. We had an avocado tree, we have an apricot tree, and we have a peach. We had a peach tree, and I remember how much we loved that fresh fruit in the spring, and we'd share it with our neighbors, and our neighbors would share things from their trees. I mean, and we were just a little house, and we just happened to have three fruit trees in our backyard. A bounteous a bounteous crop. encourages community. Absolutely, because, like you say, suddenly you're speaking with your neighbors because you have more than you can deal with, and also you're seeing these birds come, and they come and get the fruits at the top of the tree, and they, of course, bless the space with their music and their sound, and it gives them a chance to have some shade, have a place to eat, and create and encourage their family growth just as we are doing with ours. Yes, absolutely. And I think for anyone who, one of the things I'm very thrilled about, just, you know, having grown up in Southern California, is the idea that we now have a lot of uh, farmer's markets that are cropping up around in the cities where people come and bring food that's grown locally. Because so many of us, I, I was fortunate as a child to live for a couple of years uh, in on a farm in Missouri. And it was amazing, even as a, a child, I realized the difference between food that you actually bring in from your own garden, the difference between a t- one of those tomatoes and a tomato that you get at the supermarket. It's like night and day. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, which one is which is what I want to know. Right, yes, right. Truly, truly, because anytime this food is, is in our supermarket, it, it was harvested before it was ripe, right? And then it has to travel miles and miles and miles in refrigeration and be gassed to turn a different color. And, you know, I think Michael Pollan spoke about it in Food, Inc., where he said... You're not having a tomato. You're having the notion of a tomato. It's the <laughs> idea of a tomato. Yes. Right? So it's totally different than le- allowing that fruit to ripen out there with the sun and not be brought in to be consumed until you're ready 
to consume it. Oh my gosh, you know there are children in the United States that don't know what a real tomato tastes like. It just occurred to me, so many children are urban children that may have never been exposed to a real, homegrown or farm-grown real tomato. They don't know what a tomato really tastes like. Absolutely, and that's, that's a, why they're that's so quick to tell sad. you that they don't like vegetables. It's only because they've never actually had one. Right, and also the conditioning. I remember, um, and I'm kind of, it's kind of a sad story, but when we first moved to the farm, I had grown up in you know Southern California in Long Beach, and we moved out to the farm, and by this time I think it was about 11 or 12, and we had milk cows out there, and so we had fresh milk every day, and I absolutely hated it. I, because I was used to the, I was like, it's so thick, and, you know, and the butter was so weird, and it was like, what, can't we just have margarine? How can we have to have this? You know, now I love those things, but as a child, I was always happy at first, you know, when I would get to go into town, and with our, you know, in the cafeteria, they'd serve us the little milk cartons of what I called real, regular milk, you know, but it was because, I mean, here I was as a child, conditioned to have food that wasn't real food, and wanting that, because that's what was familiar to me and then I had to go through a whole kind of retraining you know process to where I discovered you know it took me a while to adjust to what real food was and to develop a taste and a liking for it which is kind of a sad story and it's also <laughs> um, a common story because what we're what that speaks to is it speaks to the importance of access and this is the the key to urban agriculture urban agriculture allows everyone to have access to fresh locally grown food and when we start to have fresh locally grown food we start to eat in season and when we we begin to eat in season and to eat things that are from our climate zone then Mm. our body starts to harmonize with where we actually live as opposed to always eating pineapples from a a region that we don't have our bodies don't even live in Mm -hmm. and so we wonder why we have different issues of just being off balance and it's because we must ground ourselves And that's what urban agriculture gives us. It gives us the opportunity to be present in the space that we are. You're listening to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine. And in Irvine, this this week, we were going to be privileged to have Eugene Cook in person at the Centers for Living Peace. Uh, Eugene, I was wondering, what can people expect this Sunday at the Center for Living Peace uh, when they come to listen to you? Well, that's a great question. First, I would like to say that it's always a pleasure to be there because we um, now have done a group of uh, at least 10 workshops at the Center for Living Peace, and it's always a blessing to be there because of the kind of energy the space holds Mm -hmm. and the people that are drawn to it. So when we begin this, we're going to be talking about meditations in the garden, and we'll be speaking about how in many, many uh, different cultures and in different spiritual systems, it is an integral part of the development of a disciple or of an initiate to begin by cultivating the garden. And that begins their spiritual growth because we begin the art of compassion, of nurturing sensibilities. We also start to become um, aware and attentive to the finest details because a plant isn't going to communicate verbally to you if it's not satisfied, not happy, or not healthy. So it attunes different sensibilities in us, our sense of uh, sight, our sense of uh, awareness just becomes heightened. And that's what we're going to talk about, how gardening can assist us in becoming more present, more compassionate, and more nurturing. Well, I think, um, you know, 
hopefully everyone at least at some point has gotten a little plant, you know, even if it's or planted something from a seed, maybe even in a school project or something. Mm. And just to remember how exciting it was when you saw that first little shoot you know, coming out of the ground, you know, or maybe even just planting something in your, out in your flower box or something. And then the, then it kind of grows up and then next thing you know, oh, there's some buds on it, you know. And just, if you, if we would just stop and think about the joy of the excitement of just seeing a little plant coming, you know, coming out of the ground and turning into blossoms. And if, but, but we just kind of set that aside as a whole different part of our life. It, that was like a little a little moment that happened when perhaps if we would be connected with our out-of-doors or mm. with our own garden or our flower boxes or herbs that we might grow in our garden, we could cultivate more of that in our lives of, of just, you know, being present with that. So um, is, is that kind of some, some of the things, you know, that people will get to, will they get to experience anything like this at the, um, at the lecture on Sunday? Are you going to bring some plants? <laughs> we will. We normally always have, we have some wonderful people that um, work with us here in Southern California. Because I travel a lot, we've developed groups of supportive uh, crew members all around. Mm. And there's a, a grower here in Orange County, and his name is Christian. And he almost always brings plants when he's able to come to the workshops. Oh, but wonderful. one of the most important things is to is to encourage people, mm-hmm. right? So people have these ideas, and they may be practicing yoga, they may be practicing meditation, and wanting to incorporate gardening into it and what it does is just as you said it encourages people to spend time outside and when you spend time outside suddenly you you become in tune with whether the moon is waxing or waning or when was the last full moon or new moon or you become more in tune with the seasons having your feet bare feet on the ground you feel that temperature that that earth holds Mm. on a bright sunny day in the winter time the earth has a very different temperature than a bright sunny day in the summertime. Yes. And so these things help, again, to remind us, oh, you know, I don't live in my mind. I don't live in my office, and I don't live in my computer. I live on Earth, and Earth is in a system. Earth is not the system. She's part of an amazing system that is being orbited by satellites and, and interacting with huge energies and beings such as the sun. Yes, and the moon. Of course, you know we elves love the moon because the moon cherishes our memory. And it, it, it's so funny because we were talking the, the night before last, I believe, was the full moon. And, of course, the last last night the big bright moon was up there. And one of the things I absolutely love is when it is a full moon because there's so much light. I mean, you can go out and you can do things, it's, and it's not such the harsh light of, of sunlight. But there's wonderful things that you can do. And I once found a book, actually, that was all about uh, moon gardening. Have you have you heard of that? Um, maybe not that particular book, but definitely the practice, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the practice of, of gardening by lunar cycles is, is an ancient practice, and it has been, you know, widely uh, discussed and studied by science for mm-hmm. the way in which the moon influences water in the soil, whether the water is um, decreasing and receding deep down on a waning moon or whether the water is being pulled to the surface on a waxing oh. moon, right? So there are different crops that are uh, sensitive to when they like to be planted. So root crops like to be planted on a waning moon, root crops being radishes, carrots, taters, taters. Because they want want to be able to go deep into the earth and get the water from deep in the earth, right? So they want to search. They Ah. want to be pulled down. Ah. Whereas all of our fruiting crops, they love to be planted while the moon is waxing so that the water is right at the surface, the seeds sprout quickly, and that 
that, of course, that gravitational exchange that's happening between the Earth and the moon, that kind of loving communication, they're in between that, and they get tickled by that, and they get encouraged by that and excited by that and stimulated, just like you'll find that the uh, emergency rooms and, and babies and all kinds of things are happening on these full moons with us. Yeah. So is it... You could actually, you know, do your gardening by moonlight for many of us that work most of the daylight hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Ooh, oh, this is yes. very exciting. Um, gardening by moonlight is wonderful because it's a lot quieter, mm-hmm. right? And so, and the mind tends to be in a different space because we are beings that are affected by these same tidal systems being um, comprised so much of water. So by the time we come out at night, if we've had our dinner and we've kind of decompressed from the day a little bit, and we come into a greenhouse or we come out into our orchard or into our herb garden in the evening, it's a very different rhythm that we yes. begin to move with. Oh, that's amazing. So what kinds of creatures and what kinds of people uh, take an interest in, in what you're doing, Eugene? You know, I'm blessed to see all types of different people are coming to this awareness now. And it, it has to do with the work of so many different um, entities that are present on the planet at this point. You know, we're at a time period where many of the the, the somewhat silent helpers of the forest have mm-hmm. now come alive and become very, very vocal. So we have entities, um, whether they're Orishas or Elves or Netters, that are out here and they're saying, you know what, we need to be a little more proactive and get the humans on board because <laughs> the humans are getting really distracted <laughs> yes. with the things that they create. And right. we want them to have the same kind of wonder for creation. So um, I and think everybody's really these. starting to be encouraged about this kind of work. Yes. Well, so so it seems to me that you're implying that no matter where you live and what size uh, space you have available to you, whether it's just a little piece of concrete out on a balcony even, uh, that the this concept of uh, gardening, uh, whether it be flowers or plants or food, and meditation and gardening is available. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, in, in echoing something that you talked about in your childhood where your neighbors exchanged, the other thing we want to always remind people is that even if you feel that you don't have the space, and you may really actually not have the space, this is an opportunity for you to talk to people that you work with or you go to school with or that are in your community who do have the space and mm. may not be utilizing it and say, you know what, i got an idea. Why don't we on the next full moon plant one fruit tree in your backyard and I'll be the one that takes care of it and I'll purchase the tree but allow me to use your space to do it. And oh. now we again yes. make the web of our community stronger and, and give ourselves something to be responsible for. Yeah, so one person who has the space available and it might even be an elderly person who isn't you know up to gardening or something but they might feel like, oh, it would be lovely to have a beautiful lemon tree or peach tree or avocado tree in my yard and I'd love to share the fruit and have access to the fruit and so it becomes you know a, a synergistic thing and, and everyone benefits. Absolutely, and if it's, if it's ever too complicated our public school systems belong to us Hmm. it is time for us to demand that our public school systems feed our children healthy food and one of the ways they can do that is exactly what you just talked about by planting fruit trees all around our public schools our children our tax dollars go to these schools and we all we have to do is demand that our children get healthy food at the schools where we send them 
And they're, uh, it's like you said, they plant trees for decorative purposes. Exactly. Why not? Why not let those be fruit trees that will actually bear fruit? Now, have you had any luck with uh, doing this and, and going to some schools and convincing them to take these, take on these practices? Yes, absolutely. We've had some tremendous luck um, with groups of people. There, um, there is a school in Crenshaw High School is the, one of the largest programs that we've we've done. The Crenshaw High School in South Central Los Angeles. Normandy Elementary School has some wonderful things happening. There is um, the school in Fullerton for, oh, my goodness, I wish my mind would did not just draw a blank because Andrea will be upset at me, but there is a, a school, an ele- uh, elementary school in Fullerton that we've been working very close with, and they've been planting these tr- um, trees and starting up an, uh, a small urban garden and different gardens throughout. And I'm going to take a minute so that Rolling Hills Elementary School, there we go. (laughs) Rolling Hills Elementary School in Fullerton has an amazing program. They have at least six gardens on their campus, and they're planning to do something larger. How wonderful. So now is the time for people to really start looking at these prototypes that work. And how exciting for the children, because if they can go to school and see the trees and see these projects, maybe they'll also go to home to their parents and say, hey, Mom, you know, we've got this... We've got this yard back there. Why can't we plant a, 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 a fruit tree or two in our backyard? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Or even some carrots. <laughs> Make it it's, simple, right? Some really, tomatoes. And real potatoes are much better than couch potatoes. <laughs> I'm curious, Eugene, uh, for the urban gardener that only has a small condo and maybe a little patio, what herbs do you recommend them start with or what, what vegetables or fruit? What What do you recommend for the really space-confined person who may be living in a condo complex where there's nothing but small patios, what do you recommend they start with? It's a great question. I always recommend that people start with herbs anyway because herbs are something that you don't have to wait for them to mature before you start using them. So um, herbs like mint, um, oregano, thyme, basil, stevia, which is a natural sweetener. Um, You can do things like garlic chives, right? Any of these things that you're going to chamomile that you're going to use as a tea that you're going to use chamomile i could actually grow my chamomile myself Absolutely, and chamomile is such Mm. a beautiful plant when you see it grow you can grow your own catnip you can grow fennel all of these things are are good for you with your health and herbs tend to be a bit more forgiving for people who are just starting out they grow very simply and and they don't take a long time to get ready and they smell so wonderful when they're growing. And there's something wonderful about going. Um, I have a friend who has all these herb things growing out. And I would go to his house and I'd make a salad. And he'd go out in the garden and bring these things in. And, oh, my gosh, I'd put it in the guacamole and mm. put it in this. And it just it smells good. It feels good. It makes your fingers smell like the herbs. And it's really cool. Quite- what about cilantro? Is that something yeah. that could be grown in a patio garden? So simple, so fast, especially here in Southern California. And basil. And then once it goes to seed, you have your coriander that you can grind up. So, yes, it, it, all of these things are very, very simple, especially where we where we are right now. Well, well we where- should remind you that you're listening to Eugene Cook here on KUCI. And for more information, the website is formamaearth.org, and that starts with the numeral four, formamaearth.org. And he'll be this coming Sunday, January 15th, at the Center for Living Peace, right across the street here from UC Irvine at uh, the University Center. And a registration is still open for that event. Is that right, Eugene? That is correct. And I will be there at 12 o'clock. And we expect to see some wonderful people there and, and share any insights that you all have. We have experts that always are showing up, and we, we love to share. 
Great. And the website for the Center for Living Peace is www.goodhappens.org. They do have information there as well about uh, the event. But please visit For Mama Earth because uh, that's where there will be posted um, news about uh, uh, upcoming workshops that you'll be doing in the Southland as well, right? That's correct. I visit California at least four times a year. And um, we try to keep everybody abreast of what we're doing. And your book, Grow Where You Are, An Introduction to Urban Gardening, that book is available uh, where again? At lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. And you can search Grow Where You Are or Eugene Cook, C-O-O-K-E. Or visit my website, which is G-E-B-S-I-T-E, gebsite.com. Wonderful. Well, Eugene, thank you so much for being on the show today and for being in the world, making the difference that you are. And I'm very excited to get to meet you on Sunday. I look forward to it, Tani. Thank you so much for both of your time and, and, and having me. Thanks for talking to us after jet lag with a long flight. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I appreciate y'all. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll see you Sunday. Blessings. Uh, so that was Eugene. Oh, my gosh, the time just flies. when. Don't tell me the hour's up already. It is up already, but it wasn't that delightful. Uh, it, it, it's it's just something. I wish I didn't have a previous commitment. You'll have to give us an adventure report. I will report definitely, most definitely give next an, an adventure Tuesday. report. Uh, next Tuesday uh, from the workshop I'll go, and I'll get to see Andrea, and we'll talk about For Earth Mama. They That's a wonderful website, too. And we'll have to save it for another time, but there, she's <laughs> she as a mama with you know little ones, and they're making a difference in the world as well, and she and Eugene partner quite often. Well, there's so. a wonderful photo on the website of Eugene and his son, and just it's lovely to see you know, a man and his son working in the garden together. Yes. Well, and um, so... If people would like to contact us, we would love to hear from anyone with feedback or comments or just to say hello at askanelf at yahoo.com. And next week we'll uh, have movie news again and um, things to discuss and things to share. <laughs> questions, questions that need answering. Absolutely. And again, welcome to everyone starting the new quarter here at UC Irvine. And again, the uh, upcoming DJ training, in case you ever thought you might like to have a little um, a, a little adventure in radio, please visit the website at KUCI.org for information about the training. Yes, Jim and Robert. we're not. We'd be remiss if oh, we yes. didn't mention our friend Max McLean is back in the area. Oh, let's not wonderful. forget to mention Screw Tape Letters. He has a stage production. It was here last year uh-huh, right. in, in Orange County. Now it's up in L.A. County, adapted and directed by Jeff Fisk and Max McLean, who stars in it as as the devil screw tape. The screw tape letter stage play is on at the Civic Arts Plaza, the Cavley Theater, 2100 Thousand Oaks Boulevard in Thousand Oaks, California. And that's occurring on Saturday, January 14th at 4 and 8 p.m. and Sunday, January 15th at 3 p.m. You can go to screwtapeonstage.com slash Los Angeles for more information. But the main site is screwtapeonstage.com. and. So that's this weekend. Exciting stuff. Uh, that's very exciting. And for those of you listening, in case uh, you know of someone who might be interested in listening, our show will be up on podcast within a day or two on our website at KUCI.org. Go to the little talk icon or visit KUCITalk.org. And uh, we will be back next week. And just uh, to let our listeners know as well, in case they may not have heard, we started a new quarter of programming this week. So some shows have got kind of moved 
around if there's a particular show that you love here on KCI and you click on it on your computer or try to tune in during the time that it normally is and you find something else, please consult the website at KUCI.org because the show you're looking for may have just got moved into another time slot. Click on Schedule at the top of the webpage. Yes, we've got one, lots of, we always have new programs and returning programs, uh, but things get moved around because we're very organic here at KUCI. But one thing hasn't changed immediately following this program is the exciting athletics program, the Blue and Gold Report. And then at 6 p.m. Pacific time, every Tuesday, is the unbelievable, entertaining, and enriching Rachel Ray's cooking (laughs) accident. With Heather McCoy, the real McCoy. Yes, absolutely. So um, until next week, Elin Salalum and Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting, dear Hobbit. Thank you, Elf Princess. It's been wonderful chatting with you and our guests. And and to Ro, we want to say she's waving. Thank you, Tawny, and listening to your co-host, uh, to your guest today, makes me think, what could be done with that acre of land we live on? I know. Yes. Wonderful things. Well, you know, I'm in love with that mineola tree that you have in your backyard. <laughs> Those wonderful tangerines. Nothing like fresh tangerines. What's an acre? It's a large plot of land. Wow. <laughs> Our land is measured in square feet. <laughs> Okay, until next week, uh, please uh, check out our website, and we're going to leave you with a little song, a little teaser from the teaser, and this is the dwarves singing, led by Thorin Oakenshield, The Misty Mountains Cold. Oh, my gosh. This is QCI in Irvine. Far over the misty mountains cold Dungeons deep and caverns old.